Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yawpcast for December 9th, 2019. Our final yawp of the year featuring poet Marwa Halal leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. This is part one of our Yawpcast for December 9th because at our final yawp of the year we also feature our 2019 Poem of the Year Smackdown. So, on part one, you will hear the 12 readers for our shortened open mic, and then in part two, which I am sure you will listen to, also you will hear the finalists for Poem of the Year reading and the results of that vote. This month's open mic lineup featured Paul Rabinowitz, Madeline Phillips, Jay Eason, Jacob Strauss, Prince A. McNally, Mike Fresentes, Melanie Lee, Rent Ferris, Brenda Mara, Arthur Russell, Kiara DeLelo, and Todd Friedman. So, I know you've got a lot to listen to. You've got about two hours plus worth of podcast material, which again, I'm sure you will listen to every minute of. So let's get right to the action. The Broken Poets Yop open mic for December. Enjoy. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing? I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're all dallying downstairs. Uh, welcome to the final Broken Poets Yop of the year. Uh, amazing turnout. Is it still raining outside? So uh, I thank you heartily for coming on such a really incredibly crappy night. Uh, the weather def definitely does not comply with our festivities, but uh, it's beautiful to see so many people here on such an important night of poetry in the Brooklyn community and beyond America, outer space, you know, whatever life exists beyond outer space, even is there a beyond of outer space? Uh, anyway, uh, we have actually like a two-part program tonight, uh, which a lot of you are here probably for the second part, but we are beginning with our normal Yop open mic. It's just going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, this month was a little bit different because we had no advanced sign-up, so everyone you are going to hear tonight signed up early. We're here at like probably like <laughs> 6.30 to sign up uh, for the workshop. Five, some here, he was here from New Jersey. At five, so he slept, some people slept overnight, you know, on the sidewalk. Um, it's sometimes that hard to get onto the open mic. Um, so we actually have a two-part job tonight. If you don't know me, by the way, I'm Jason Koo, Executive Director of Book and Poets. Uh, the first job we have at every open mic... Why are you applauding? Is that for me? Oh, cool, thank you. I was like, why are they applauding? I have no idea. Uh, at every Yop Open Mic, we record, first of all, we record the Yop Open Mic as a podcast called the Yopcast. We are up to 35-star votes. Wow, it only took us like five years or something like that. But thank you to all of you that have rated us. Uh, if you want to vote for us and rate us on iTunes, uh, that would be welcome. It is published as a Yopcast every month. We also vote for Poem of the Month every month, which is what brings us here at the end of the year for what we call the Poem of the Year Smackdown, where all 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the course of the year read their poems in a night of celebration, and the audience votes on who they think won Yacht Poem of the Year. So that will be the second part of our segment. But we have important work to do in the first part because we have to vote on Poem of the Month for December. That will be the first person who competes for next year's Poem of the Year. So it's a little bit like... Poem of the year from like end of 2019 into 2020, all right? So what you do to vote for poem of the month, this is a separate vote. Are you all following so far? There are two votes. I know you're all like, 
voting, card-carrying liberals, hopefully, uh, and uh, you're very versed in voting, and you, you do that all the time, so hopefully you've got this down. But the first vote, you're going to vote by text message, and you do that by texting me, 718, area code, 374-1953. All right? A couple more times, I will repeat it throughout the night. 718-374-1953. We have 12 readers that we will get to. Uh, if they happen to go really quick, maybe we'll get to one or two in the wait list, but it's definitely going to be 12 at least. Uh, just tell me their first name. I will repeat the names uh, as they read. All you got to do is text me the name. Please wait until the end of that open mic portion to vote for that person, right? And I will cue you again to do that. So that will be the Poem of the Month winner for <laughs> December 2019, who will be the first person on our list for next year's Poem of the Year contest. Uh, at that point, we'll take a, a little break. We're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> We're just going to take a little two-minute break to stop one podcast recording because we have to do this one in two parts since it's so long. And then we're going to get set for the next part. The second part is the Poem of the Year Smackdown for this year, 2019. So if you don't have a ballot... Uh, we will pass those out again. You don't just don't even worry about it now because it's going to cause too much chaos. But uh, we will ask for a show of hands and pass those ballots out to anyone who doesn't have it. The reason why we do this by ballot is because one year we had people texting from outside the venue. Uh, yeah, exactly. Boo. That shit was fucking lame. <laughs> so that is not going to happen. Uh, you will get one val ballot. Do not take two. Do not be that person. All right, uh, we don't have like a ballot police here or anything, right? But don't be that person that tries to vote like three or four times. Uh, take one ballot. My, my assistants are, are as OCD as me. That's why they're on my staff, and they will probably remember your face if you try to take more than one ballot. So all you got to do, one, one thing to note with the ballot, one thing to note with the ballot, they are not, what are you looking for? Oh, okay. <laughs> One thing to think, think about for the ballot, the, the readers are not reading in this order. Uh, they have all drawn a ballot, so I will be just announcing the readers as they come. So just look for their name, right? Try to remember. <laughs> I'm just hoping you can, <laughs> all right? Uh, I will repeat their names probably ad nauseum. I mean, except for they'll probably love it. But for everyone else, just uh, remember the name. If you might even, like, make notes who you like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you want to do your voting, but that's up to you. Um, but just circle, all you gotta do is circle the person that you think is the best, and then we will collect them at the end of that portion, and then we will count the votes and decide, uh, announce that winner at the end of the night. There might be co-winners, last year there was co-winner. After that is done, as we are counting the votes, uh, we will hear f uh, readings from last year's co-winners, one of whom is in Australia. <laughs> so we will hear a recording of her beautiful voice and her beautiful poem. And the other co-winner, Laura Murphy, I'm not sure she's here yet because she's got another engagement. She said she's going to be here, so hopefully she will. And then we will hear from this year's reigning opera of the year, Bill Livingston, who's right there. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> he will read. He will read. <laughs> That's nice. He will read one last time. Uh, before he gives up his coveted position. And then we will award this year's Yopper of the Year. I will explain what that award is. It's probably a very strange-sounding award, uh, but it's probably the most illustrious award you can win in the poetry community. Um, you know, other than, like, you know, the Nobel Prize or something. Uh, we will hear readings from them, and then at the end of the night, we will announce Poem of the Month. So uh, we strap yourselves in. The good news is we are starting uh, much earlier than usual. Uh, all right, but the first reader we are going to hear from before we get to the uh, open mic proper is our professor from the workshop tonight. Give it up for Marwa Halal. 
Um, how many of you watch reality TV? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you watch? Uh, Rag Race and lately, Are You the One? But only like the queer version. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thing, things I haven't heard of. Another person? 90 Day Fiance. You know, that one should have been in here. This is called Reality Show. Can you all hear me? Prisoner Swap. El Azhar's next top fatwa. The Great Batlawa Baking Show. Fear Factory. Meet your dystopian date. Weapons deal or no weapons deal. <laughs> Name that war. Sanction this. Amazing race for clean water. So you think you can poetry. <laughs> Survivor, post deportation edition. Um, and this one's for the rain and the trees, and I guess the earth by default, and all of us animals on it. Poem for palm pressed upon pain. I am in the back seat, my father driving from Mansura to Cairo, Delta to desert, Heliopolis, a path he has traveled years before I was born. The road has changed, but the fields are same, same, biblical green, hazy green. When I say, this is the most beautiful tree I have ever seen. And he says, all the trees in Masra are the most beautiful. This is how I learn to see. We planted pines, four in a row, for privacy, for property value. That was Ohio, before New Mexico before I would make Musr my own. But after my mother tells me to stop asking her what is wrong whenever I see her staring out of the living room window, this is how trauma learns to behave, how I learn to push against the page. I always give Hatim the inside seat so he can sleep on the bus, his warm cheek against the cold window. When I am old enough to be aware of leaving, it is raining hard, 5,000 miles away. There is a palm in a pot, its leaves pressed, skinny neck bent, a plant seeking light in an animal kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, Marwa, one of the best poets writing today. Don't doubt it. Just buy that book over there, and you will see. Uh, our first reader off the open mic sign-up sheet, I think, is a Yop debuter. Give it up for Paul Rabinowitz. Thank you, Arthur. I actually had a poem plan that I completely changed it just now. Because what is so ironic is I wrote a poem last month with the words Ohio or New Mexico in it, <laughs> totally at random. Yes. And when I just heard that, I'm like, that is so bizarre. It's a collective project. Wow. <laughs> so I'm going to read the one with Ohio and New Mexico in it. 
I know what Adam went through in the garden in July on the first day when all was calm and the wind barely blew, as things were slowly being figured out. But I know Eve was not a challenge because she understood more than he would ever know. And she was complete, and her body was truth. And like a dancer that moves away from a small town in Ohio or New Mexico, or a place that no one goes to unless someone is dying, you found me alone in the garden on that day and said your name in the original, which is Chaya, as in living, like in the present tense. And I thought, who would name their child living unless it was a moniker for something like, hey, she is so alive, as in the way your body springs as you walk towards the fruit with strong torso and extend your hand to me, and I deliberate about the enormity of our next move together, but you are a visionary, and already choreographed in your mind how this will all play out on stage as your eyes scan this perfect space of fruits and flowers, even a small stream tumbling through a crack in the rock down a cliff into a small pool where two gazelles gather drinking fresh water. And you look at me with those gentle eyes, knowing I lack experience, unsure if I can do any of this here with you in July. Then, like the sweet sound of chirping crickets, I hear three words mixing with the gurgling pulse of water over smooth rocks and turn my head towards the crevice of your mouth to make sure I understand the words in the original language and realize I have never heard a dancer speak while on stage. So I question, if this is part of the living performance, then how should I take these three words that move within me, causing my body to tremble and wonder if you are aware of how words can trigger something this new world has never felt? I am still learning and succumb to this moment knowing the three words you speak are now living inside me. And the wild garden you have chosen for this act is within you. You are knowing. I am gathering. But I wonder, will others know about this moment and question the act? And do I need to record this? Or should the act of living be all we need? And what of those who don't know the words in the original? So I pull a piece of dry grass from the field. I reach for a low-hanging fruit and squeeze the red juice into your palm, then dip the grass reed into the juice and onto your perfect body and write Adam. And next to it, the word desire. And with the tip of the reed dripping red, I scribe your name in the present tense in the original language to which my body reacts well and feels good that you smile 
with each stroke of the reed. Then you ask me to write a poem about a dancer and turn towards me, exposing your thighs, and I feel my blood pumping and my hand move like the gazelle skipping over rocks, and I look around at this setting with the reed on your flesh, and the words start to flow out from my body in the original language we spoke together for the first time on a perfect day in July in the garden, and I question. If this is living, then will I stay here with you forever or until something in the new world that we cannot explain turns and the weather cools? Rain pours down hard from the dark sky above and with no protection our bodies shiver and the living words written in the original language across your body wash off, and I wonder in that moment if living is changing and knowing is forgetting. And when the scenes of the perfect garden fade, I return to Ohio or New Mexico or some place where names are in past tense and the original is sin and turn to look at you for the last time knowing I might never see anything like this again. Okay, that was Paul Rabinowitz. One thing I forgot to mention, you have a time limit tonight. Three minutes, one poem. Three minutes, sorry about that, Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one poet, one poem, three minutes max. That is always the rule at the Broken Poets Yop. Our next reader, is it Madeline? It's Madeline. Madeline, give it up for Madeline Phillips. Is this, is this how close I'm supposed to be? Can you hear me? Is this good? Okay. Um, hi, this is my first time here. And I showed up really late, so I did, not late, like I was on time, but I mean, I didn't expect to get a spot in the sign up, so that's exciting. Um, I'm gonna preface, pre wow, preface this by saying that I uh, wrote this based on a prompt where someone asked me to look at my birth chart and write about my Venus sign. So, this is called Venus in Virgo. Love is not sacrifice, and yet, time and again, I lay the white crescent of my neck at some giant's feet and ask him to tread lightly. For a moment that feels like a week, three months, Six years, I swear the arch of his foot cradles my cervical spine with the neat completeness of silver spoons lined back to back in an ancestral oak sideboard. But when he steps, I can't breathe. I swallow a scream and press my lips into a pleasant crease. My cheeks burn with a beatific heat that boils my eyes benign in their sockets. It's okay, I'm fine. 
In fact, I see stars writhing in the dirt like worms when it rains. As he walks away, I stay supine, paralyzed with the certainty that if I planted the smallest germ of myself in the earth, I would grow taller than him and stand with the moon at my feet. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we're back on track now. Thank you for... Not only a good poem, but you know what I like. I like efficiency. Our next reader, I think another Yop debuter. It's great to see so many newcomers for the first time. Is it Jay Eason? Give it up for Jay Eason. I didn't expect so many people, so I've really like thrown myself into this shit. <laughs> this is called Scientific Method of Grief. One, ask a question. Is it dad? What's wrong with dad? Is he okay, mom? Dad, what's wrong? Concrete catches my body, my screens surrender to sorrow, and we learn what it's like to lose limbs. Two, do background research. Monday, September 28th, 1959, he was placed in his mother's arms and the hospital stamped Negro on his birth certificate. He talked about Virginia like he arose from its dirt. Youngest of ten, he sang stories about fingers worn from cotton, bellies full of berries, the love he loved for my grandmama. Burning his name into the grass, home is where his mother lays. Three, construct a hypothesis. Risks include breathing problems, bleeding, blood clots, renarrowing arteries, heart attack, death. His heart broke for the first time in 2016. Doctors sliced him in half, dug metal into his arteries. My love aches for him on the phone. He sings, happy birthday, baby girl, into the receiver, letting go of pinched passageways. He smokes too often, pretends like he doesn't, and never misses doctor's appointments, pins the dates on the fridge, his own 12-step program. Four test with experiment. I'm wading through concrete to get to him. It's hard to run fast over 2,000 miles. I want to reroute the map. His skin has gone dry, and you only have so much blood to write with. Five, Samuel Chapel, Moyoc, North Carolina. We carry his body on our backs. My knuckles are caught on brass handles. If I hold on longer, maybe he's allowed to come back. God loves crybabies, the preacher preaches. I cry because I don't have any good words to say. Six, conclusion. He is the wind that surrounds me. All right, Jason, you got fans. Nicely done. 
That was Jay Eason. Before that was Madeline Phillips and Paul Rabinowitz. I think we have uh, at least one more Yop debuter. Give it up for Jacob Strauss. Uh, hello, hello. <laughs> so, uh, yes, this is my first time reading. And, um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, and I wrote this around the high holy days with my Aunt Candace in mind, and it's called And the Water in Between. And forgive my lack of performing sensibilities. We have the privilege of living past picture books. Words do the grass and heat the stone wall and kiss the nape and pronounce the bowing in temples. It is tempo. Only you might recognize what it can be without ever seeing what forms and dimensions. Perhaps condenses all of what you have felt into a single droplet on the inside of a tea kettle to pour, to pour boiling, lurchingly over coffee beans. No newspaper or lunch to pack, cartoons skittering in the den, the belt of your bathrobe wound loosely around your hand. So this time, allow yourself some innocent mischief. It is mischief, isn't it? Some left unsaids, a couple brief passions that quietly die away like lines you once had memorized. You let it rest at the bottom, particles collect some densely. Shadows shine within the panes, and you do not think of any god spiraling through ecosystems like seasons and their downing colors and their reascension. The book of life demands our reassurance as it reads with the hesitance of a boy approaching his father or the naked body upon the bed, dealing with the fundamental questions. Though often boredom figures on its stubby fingers and the pages leaf by with some real sense of drama, but it is only sense, like a birthday and the fascination one feels after the entire event. It drifts you away like all days, past all markers coloring the evening like a children's sunset, deep behind the curtain in a cascade trawling thought, a lazy sweep to mask the unformed to their will, like the fastening of wide, even wrinkles and lips loosely hung, lolling uneven resolves. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Jacob. Our Yop debuters kicking ass so far. That was Jacob Strauss. Before that was Jay Eason, Madeline Phillips, Paul Rabinowitz. I did not say that. If you don't want to be in the uh, podcast recording, you don't have to be. You just have to talk to me afterward, and I can strike you from the record. Uh, also, if you've never been here before and you are not on our, if you didn't sign up on our newsletter and our website and you're not on our newsletter, you should probably leave your email with us in case you win. Because if you win and we don't, I don't have your email, there's no way I can contact you uh, except by like stalking you on social media. And I don't want to do that. Our next reader is a fine poet. You've heard him here before. Give it up for Prince A. McNally. kind of messed up my intro because I was going to say this is my first time reading. Earlier today. Today. 
This piece is called the um, Happy Murmurs of Busy Bumblebees Buzzing. Crazy title, right? <laughs> she is the silent stream of psychedelic consciousness flowing through the blue ocean of my veins. She is dope. The howling of my story I could never resist, and though I have tried to turn away, I am compelled to watch as her seductive light dances to the rhythmic shades of soulful silhouettes, lifting shadows from their darkness. You could say she's sexy, for she is the concubine who gives birth to my melodic musing. So heady and amorous is her scent, much like that of the naked lady Amaryllis, a sweet aphrodisiac. She keeps me guessing, keeps me wondering, keeps me keeps me wanting more, for she is so cool, a bit of a mystery arousing my deepest curiosity, for she only exposes the tip of the iceberg, keeping her head just above water. You, a Buddhist, she prefers to wade in the middle way, refusing to sink or swim, ever the optimist, her head, her, the cup, Ever the optimist, her cup never runneth over, always remaining half full. She is the hypnotic wordplay of hip-hop. I can remember back when our love affair began with a gold chain and a medallion swinging back and forth like a pendulum. She has cast me beneath her spell. She moves with a rhythm in blues that flows like a cool glass of water that goes down smooth like jazz. She's groovy like Ella, sultry like Billy, like Miles, Monk, and Coltrane. She makes me so damn dizzy. The way her fondling fingertips tickles the ivories of my spinal cord, places me in a spiraling spin that sends the oxygen rushing through my brain so fast I'm flying high on electric blue vibes. My thoughts are steadily rising like the sun, shining its light upon the faces of weeping willows that suddenly smile to the jubilant sound of ringing echoes resonating from the caves of melanated honeycombs filled with the happy murmurs of busy bumblebees, Thank you. Well done. First time here? <laughs> that is a good strategy. Uh, that was Prince A. McNally. Our next reader is a yawper known to many of you, also a Brooklyn poet, student, fantastic poet, very funny man. Give it up for Mike Fresentes. Yeah, <laughs> this is a uh, this is new. It's not really finished. Uh, I felt like I had to read tonight because it really it's like really plugged into like a cultural moment that we're all going through. I think as a society. Um, <laughs> poem for Baby Yoda. <laughs> poem for Baby Yoda, who Werner Herzog described as heartbreakingly beautiful. Hoping to still be saying I'm baby when I'm 50, <laughs> 60, older. I want to be a long-lived thing, die in a swamp at 900. Hoping there's still swamps when I'm 900. Hoping the earth's not still cooking. I think my brain's still cooking. They say it should be fully formed at 25, but somehow I'm still making the same mistakes. 
ones I made at 25, at 21, 18. Somehow I'll still be making them at 30, 50, 60, at 900. Eternal recurrence. The same mistakes always on the horizon, how there's always a Star Wars movie on the horizon now, <laughs> or two, like binary sunsets. Even if the critics say the new ones won't age well, I don't know what it means to talk about aging well. Maybe for a person it's learning from mistakes, or penitence. Or maybe for a poem it's relevance. I say this poem won't age well, and then write it into the poem. Inscribing my self-awareness into the mistake, even as I make it, as if that makes it better. Thanks, y'all. Good stuff. Told you he was a funny man. Uh, we are halfway through our open mic tonight. That was Mike Fresentes, our next reader, another former Brooklyn Poet student. I shouldn't say former, a regular, ongoing Brooklyn Poet student. <laughs> Give it up for Melanie Lee. This poem is possible only because of J.P. Howard, who gave us a prompt last month of writing to our younger self. And um, I have, as I was saying to somebody before, I have Scrivener files this big of material that I haven't been happy with. So the prompt last month was great. And I started a poem, which is not what I'm going to read tonight. But the one I'm going to read tonight was started at Jessica Goldbaum's class workshop. Greenbaum, sorry. Last, last week. And it's short, which is why I could work on it. It's called Another Letter to My Younger Self. I do not know whether I am writing to you or to poetry. Or better put, where you, what we began, and poetry continues. We, darling, are too self-centered to think words go on without us. They lift us, rescue from the Matisse blue waters. Dry up the salt gems we scrape off the edge of the table. Haven't we always known? I ask you again. Oh, those lightning bug words. Haven't they always rung us to or brought us back from the family table where the fighting stopped because somehow over scrambled eggs, a truce happened. We peeped at the shadows arriving along the walls and the floor, deluged with pleas of Ovaltine, deep, deep brown Ovaltine. We slumped against the back of the chair as the sun rose more, waiting for us to sing.
Thank you, Melanie. Beautiful poem. Also a good intro strategy. <laughs> Let me talk about this other poem first. I'm not going to read that one. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's like a like, misdirection. Um, she took Jessica Greenbaum's workshop, a single session workshop, which we started offering recently, where you can just, if you don't want to you know, fork over all the money for a five-week workshop, you can just study with our, one of our professors for three hours. It was a great workshop from the student herself. I didn't say a thing. Uh, <laughs> free advertising. Uh, again, the new workshop schedule will come out in early January 2020. Uh, one thing you can do tonight before you leave is put a little cash in that donation jar. It's our end of year fundraising drive. It's start on Giving Tuesday, which is now a day I really loathe <laughs> in the American calendar. I'm sure many of you hate it as well. It really, it really triples my... <laughs> I have the privilege of ignoring that day, uh, unlike me. Um, but uh, if you could throw in a little money, it helps us out. definitely helps us fund fellowships for students who uh, can't afford to take our workshops and manuscript consultations or go to our retreat for free. You might be one of those students. So uh, you might even be putting in money in that jar that you're going to get back later next year. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Your mind is going to explode. Um, our next reader is an old friend of ours, old friend of mine. She is going to read uh, for the first time here in a while. She was one of the uh, runners-up for Yacht Poem of the Year a couple of years ago. Give it up for Rent Ferris. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Hi everyone. Um I just realized as my heart's like pounding out of my chest that I have not performed poetry in almost 2 years. Now I feel like I have to live up to that title and this poem is super simple, super short. And it's just like a passing feeling. So I'll just go for it. Um, <clears throat> thank you. I go back and forth between loving you and loving you. Loving you is the only option I present myself with because loving you is the truth. I can't run away from it. I can't buy oils to cast spells to make the amount of loving you less to make me want you less and think of you less and care about other things more. I can't pretend I'd rather leave you because it's the right thing to do, even though I present you verbally with that option. But you never take it. Instead, you give me an answer that isn't convincing, but somehow convinces me. I later admit it's because I'm convincing myself. I convince myself relationships can be this way. I convince myself love flows in unbalanced measures. I convince myself I don't need to be loved equally because where does one get this luxury? I convince myself it's a luxury to be loved passionately. I convince myself it just doesn't exist. I convince myself what I'm asking for doesn't need to be asked for. I convince myself I can be happy like this with you. I convince myself to stay, even though I didn't need convincing in the first place. Thank you. Beautiful poem. We've missed you. Another good rhetorical strategy, I have to say. Uh, this is just a little thing <laughs> I'm going to read. I love that, too. I just saw like a small little poem, and then it was like this incredible, beautiful poem. Uh, well played, poets. I like your intros tonight. 
Uh, our next poet, that was uh, our eighth reader. We've got four left on the open mic list. Our next poet, I think, is another Yop debuter. Give it up for, is it Brinda or Brinda? Brinda. Give it up for Brinda Mara. This is what happened last time I came here, and I thought for sure I was going to read from this book, but I got really frightened. <laughs> so I couldn't sign my name on that sheet, and I decided to go home and write a poem for it. So the name of my poem is called Open Mic. I sit down, second row to the left of the aisle, that looks like some sort of a runaway set for a fashion show. I have a perfect view of the retro mic, constantly being attentively adjusted for every speaker, up and down and up and up, like a curtain being pulled at the opera for the next area. As writers recite, some hold it, I'm sorry. <sighs> as writers recite, some hold him as if they are taking off to a dance floor. Others timidly keep some distance. Words flow in and out of this funnel, of this voice funnel, that for a moment controls the, cloud, the crowd's body movements. It is your turn now. Are you going to read from your book that took you 13 years to write? I look at the mic and the lion is roaring. I can see deep in his throat the perfect size of my head. In his eyes, I see how anxious he is to chew on my mispronounced English words and savior my Russian accent of unknown origins for dessert. <laughs> I step back. Tonight, the lion is not having my head. I go home. I cry. Why couldn't you read at the open mic? You are not scared to jump a tall fence at the tender age of five to steal food, to feed yourself and your brothers while your mom was busy screwing yet another man. I sleep, thinking. Once again, I have silenced my voice. But not today, I roar. And as I look at the lion on the mic, <laughs> he roars back, but I am roaring louder. My words shall be followed today. Nothing will get in the way of my voice. I grab the lion by his head, throw him <laughs> on my back. Now, I am blonde again. <laughs> and that blonde little girl is jumping the fence once more. This time, to read 
at the open mic to share with the world her trapped voice. The lion may fright, but the lioness is the one who does the hunt. That's your first time here? Uh, that was something. Well done. First of all, for trolling Arthur for the mic adjustment. <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a wonderful moment. Uh, another good strategy to read here, bring an animal mask. Uh, or a wig. That was a fantastic use of a prop. Uh, our next reader is uh, the man who lovingly adjusts your mic and sometimes appears in poems. Give it up for Arthur Russell. <laughs> that never happened before. So, um, Chase, there was a retreat. There's too many people here. The fire marshal would like all of you to leave. Chase, uh, there was a retreat up at the Garrison Institute last past week, and Jason was teaching there along with Laura Eve Engel and Javier Zamora and Dorothy Alaskan. We had a great time. Jason taught a, a workshop to everybody about prayer, and I thought that leaves me out. <clears throat> but. Then he explained, using Simone Weil as an example, that uh, the, I think the quote was, um, uh, attention taken to its highest degree is prayer. So I thought, well, I've paid attention to things, so maybe I'm back in the game. <laughs> and um, <laughs> even if I pay attention mostly to myself, which it was nice to know that that might qualify anyway. So. So um, I wrote this poem at the workshop and worked on it since then. And let me just throw in a plug for Jason and his workshops. They're really good. <laughs> Prayer on my back in an industrial plant under one machine and next to another. I know the threads on the elbow were cut to receive the threads on the thick iron pipe. I know they need alignment, and if I give them that and torque, they will pull one another home. And I know that my hands will have to be very strong as I pull the fittings towards each other. They will tend to twist, to change their angle, and if they do, they'll never mate. And I know I'm not strong in the biceps or the shoulders. And I know the exact feeling of my shoulders growing weaker and about how long I'll have to find the threads first catch before they fail. That if I fail the first time and have to rest, the second try will be stained with my exhaustion and I know that I have been selected for this work because I'm small enough to fit inside the cabinet, and that the men who stand on every side of me depend on me, and though they do not love me, 
the oldest one has placed a folded towel beneath my head for cleanliness and comfort. And now we're going to begin. The pipe and all that it's connected to are lowered down. I see the fresh cut threads on the pipe in the poor light of the cabinet wrapped in Teflon tape and glistening with oil. And the thick walled elbows aperture is dark. My hands in oiled leather gloves are where the cabinet walls allow my elbows room. And here it is, the moment when I reach. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. You've already revised it. A plus. Good, good student. <laughs> uh, it is true. We were upstate uh, this weekend. Uh, how many people were at the retreat this weekend besides Joe and Renee? Oh yeah. Hey, Tim. How are you? I feel like uh, it's like it's like our reunion already. Uh, if you don't know about our retreats, we have two. Now we have two per year. We have one in the Hamptons. That one is super fun. That's in June, and we just had this first one it at the Garrison Institute in Garrison, New York, uh, this past weekend. And we're going to do it again next year. So one thing you can do tonight is put some money in that donation jar, <laughs> and that will go towards fellowships for these retreats, which which are not cheap. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll work for NPR one day. We will see. Uh, no, that's not going to be true. Our next reader is the person that just said that comment. Give it up for Kiara DeLalo. <laughs> beautiful. Keep on violating fire code. It looks good on you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kiara. Um, I don't usually read from my phone, um, but I changed my plan because Marwa asked us to think about place and ancestors and what you're from. And this is a poem that came out of a recent Brooklyn Poets workshop with Patricia Spears Jones, which was awesome. Um, and one of the forms that we looked into was the bop. Um, that comes out of Kaveh Kanem. It comes from Afa Michael Weaver. And um, and I tried it out, and it took, took some unexpected um, turns. This is about a story that I was not permitted to be told. Second generation bop. Picture a clod of boys in the dirt road clumped around him, stubborn root that he is, who set himself afloat in the mill run in a tin tub, got stuck and beat for it, but survived. See him there at the cross of the only two roads in his town. Ivan, read us the paper, unfurling the news by the wood shingle church. We're just where we come from, not where we arrive. He slipped from the jaws closing around his country, with reds on his heels, crossed an ocean crueler than mill streams ice, and even now you can still hear mountains resonating in his chest as Christmas colladier, downing cognac from sherry glasses, belting tenor harmonies through his smoker's wheeze, grandchildren collected like nesting dolls. We're not where we come from, but where we arrive. He asks why I teach small children, why I'm no professor or ambassador, Remembers to ask when I'm getting married. Forgets my partner's name. Forgets the newspaper he held up in the sunlight, a thin wall between us. 
No, no, don't tell her all my friends were illiterate. Don't tell her how poor we were. We are what we arrive from and where we choose to go. Thank you. Damn good. Brooklyn Poets students turning out tonight. Great stuff. That was Kiara DeLelo. We have one final reader off our open mic list tonight. We are right on schedule. You guys are doing a fabulous job kicking ass as poets and also keeping to your time. Our last reader is one of the Poets Laureate of Sunset Park. Give it up for Todd Friedman. You know, this, this is the kind of weather where you could really come down with something because a couple of days ago it was freezing. Today it's really warm. I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. And people urge you to get inoculated. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that this poem is a way to inoculate you because there is something going around. And maybe vicariously this could help. This is a poem for writer's block. Everything was going well. I'd written a raft of poems and come back from a vacation in Vermont, watching the leaves at the peak of their colors, and there you were, an uninvited guest, parked on the couch, your head at one end, your feet at the other. I was outraged. You had no right to be there, but I couldn't move you, and you refused to budge. Then you grabbed my pens and jammed them. You made the keys in my laptop stick. I bought other pens. I borrowed a computer. But the words wouldn't work. They came out hissing and sputtering. And then I heard a sound, like the one you hear when a light bulb blows. I tried scribbling in corners. I tried line paper and blank paper. I tried writing with loud colors, fluorescent green, purple, and orange. I tried typing like a madman. I felt like Jack in The Shining, filling pages and pages with the same sentence. I read for inspiration, stabbing papers and slashing them, crumbling papers and missing the can, papers balled up all over the carpet. OK, this was war. You'd infiltrated the right side of my brain. You'd sucked my imagination dry. I couldn't find a simile to save my life. I'd seen you drive others over the edge. You were laughing while they popped their little pills and guzzled themselves into oblivion. I knew I had to fight you, but had to come at it sideways. But I'll tell you straight out, you don't deserve an ode. You loathsome, nefarious, detestable, repugnant, parasitical leech. You have no talent of your own. So you latch on and cause congestion and clots. I'm flushing you out, chipping away at your sides. And if it takes an ode to get you out, here you go. I'll grant you this. I'll grant you one thing, though. You did give me some material, even though you didn't mean to. But now you can slither back to where you came from. And don't forget to thank me on the way out. There are a lot of other people who wouldn't even give you a line.
Great stuff. Anyone else here from Sunset Park tonight? Yeah, well, I know you are. Joanna Valente is in the house. She used to be in Sunset Park. Yeah. Todd is one of the poets laureate of Sunset Park, along with Julian Oblak. Okay, let's review. That was Todd Friedman. Friedman, sorry, Todd Friedman. Before that was Kiara DeLelo, Arthur Russell, Bryn Damara, Rent Ferris, spelled like Rand, R-A-N-D, Melanie Lee, Mike Fresentes, Prince A. McNally, Jacob Strauss, Jay Eason, Madeline Phillips, and back to the beginning, Paul Rabinowitz. All right, the number to vote, 718-374-1953. You got that? 718-374-1953. Do not tell anyone not here to vote. Our, our, our eyes are watching you. <laughs> 718-374-1953. Send me your votes now. This will decide the first uh, winner of Poem of the Month in our 2020 Poem of the Year contest, if that doesn't make your head explode. Okay, that wraps part one of our final Yawpcast of 2019. Thanks again to our workshop leader, Marvel Halal, for leading a terrific workshop on poems of placelessness and kicking off our open mic by featuring with uh, three minutes of her own work. Congrats to Yawp debuter Jay Eason for winning December Yawp Poem of the Month for her poem, Scientific Method of Grief. Jay has earned free admission to a future Yop and a Broken Poets tote bag and the first spot in our 2020 Poem of the Year Smackdown on a date yet to be determined because it's still 2019. We're not even thinking about 2020 yet. Okay, so that is the end of part one. If you are interested in listening to the 2019 Poem of the Year Smackdown, check out part two, which is uh, right next to this one on your download queue, I'm sure. And again, I expect you to listen to every single second of this and report back to me. Thanks to all of you who've rated us on iTunes. Keep the five-star reviews coming. And I hope you enjoyed this installment. Thanks.